Previously on Speaking of Heaven. Oh, wasn't that a great service? Oh, it sure was. All those testimonies about Ronnie were very interesting. I didn't know that he had gone to clown school. Well, our loss is heaven's gain. Yeah, I guess. What? Shouldn't we be living our lives in the here and now rather than thinking about some perfect hereafter? I don't know about heaven. I mean, is there even any evidence that heaven really does exist? Well, I really believe there is a heaven, and someday I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be reunited with Max. Um, I thought your husband's name was Jack. It is. He's still alive. No, this is my Max. Who is that? Maximilian Frederick von Hunches, my pet gerbil. He met with a tragic accident involving a blender. Ooh, he was blended? Oh, no, 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 no. He got out of his cage and chewed on the electrical cord. You think your pet gerbil is in heaven? Of course he is. I read to him out of the Bible every night, said prayers with him every morning. He was even baptized. <laughs> okay, uh, how old were you when Max died? Well, I was nine, but my mother told me I could get to see him in heaven. Okay, I'm not going to argue with your mother. Um, <laughs> But I'm just thinking that possibly there would be other things that you would more be looking forward to experiencing in heaven. Yeah, maybe there are others you'd be more interested in being with in heaven. Or maybe walking on streets of gold. Yeah, or eating from the tree of life. Or seeing a gate made from a giant pearl. All those things are important to me. But I really believe that the most important things in heaven are going to be all the relationships that we had here that we didn't get to fully enjoy. I know the main relationship will be with God, but all those other relationships are important too. And for this nine-year-old soul, Maximilian Frederick von Hanches was very special. You know, doesn't Jesus say something about there being no marriage in heaven? And I don't think he says anything about pets in heaven. Ah, uh, lack of evidence doesn't mean it ain't so. Well, I, yeah, you're right. And to be honest with you, I would really love to see my pet dog, Cheetah, again. But what I'm really looking forward to is seeing my friends and family who have gone on before. So speaking of heaven, what will our relationships be like? You know, Colossians chapter 3 encourages us to do something that we're not prone to do very often outside of funerals. And that is this, to think about things of heaven. Think about the realities of heaven rather than the things of this earth. Now, through this series, we've, we've started to do that. We're imagining, we're seeing what heaven one day will be like. You know, it reminds me of the story of three guys who were at a funeral uh, not too long ago. 
And at the end of the memorial service, they were gathered around and they were talking very much like this. And one of them asked the rest of the guys, he said, what do you want to have said when you die one day? What do you want to have said at your funeral? One of the guys said, well, I want to make sure everyone knows that I was a brilliant doctor and that I saved many lives. Another guy said, well, I want people to say of me that I was a devoted and loving dad to my kids. I like what the third guy, the third guy said. He said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> you know, that actually happened in my little hometown in Georgia before I was born. Um, in the 40s or 50s, I'm not sure which year it was exactly, there was this funeral at this little, tur- little church not too far from my, my boyhood home, and the pastor was preaching this funeral for this older guy, and back then, I, you know, I guess it's true in a lot of churches, you know, there was a pulpit there, and then in front of the pulpit was the casket, and the casket, the, the front was open so that people before the service could go in and see, you know, their loved one, their departed one, and you know, this service is going on, and this pastor is giving this powerful eulogy, and he's talking about the realities of heaven. And I think he had gotten to the point in the sermon where he was talking about how the dead in Christ shall rise first, when, wouldn't you know, he rose first. He just kind of sat up in his casket. To talk about people moving, that, my dad said that whole church cleared in like less than 60 seconds. The pastor was crawling over people to get to the back door. When it happened. True story. No, no joke. It turns out this guy during his life had a really bad back. And he was kind of hunched over most of his life. And so when the funeral home decided to figure out how do we keep this guy in his casket. They just decided well let's just use some ropes. We'll tie his legs down where they can't be seen. And then we'll tie his chest down underneath his jacket so no one will know. And the ropes on the front side just weren't quite tight enough I guess. So he came up out of his casket in the middle of his service. You think I'm kidding. This, this is really true. This is small town Georgia for you. <laughs> but I tell you, these days, more and more people are coming back and they are moving. The Gallup poll recently came out that said 13 million Americans have had some sort of near-death experience in their lives. At some point in their lives... They showed no signs of life. They flatlined. They weren't breathing. There was no pulse. Yet somehow they were revived and they came back. 13 million. And many of those who come back are now telling these stories of how they had been to heaven. And this, it was this place beyond words. That case, that, that, that's actually the case of a guy by the name of Don Piper. Some of you may know his story. Don Piper was an East Texas Baptist pastor uh, back in the 80s. And he was, one day in the late 80s, he was driving back from a pastor's meeting back to his church to do a Bible study. It was a cold January morning. It was raining. He crossed this bridge heading back to church. Uh, so foggy they re- he really couldn't see. And just as he's in the middle of the bridge, this semi-truck was heading right in his direction and crossed the yellow line. And they hit each other head on without even having a chance to hit the brakes. Both of them were going the speed limit, 55 miles an hour. So the impact was at 110 miles an hour. It was so fast that the semi-truck's nine driver's side wheels just kind of rolled over the top of this little red Ford Escort that this guy was driving. And it tore his body into pieces. Don was instantly gone. Now, there were four emergency paramedics that showed up on the scene, and they did their best for several minutes to try to revive Pastor Don. But there was, there was really no hope. They tried, and they tried, and they finally called it. They, so they covered the, car, the whole car over with a tarp for decency purposes, 
and they waited for a coroner, for a medical examiner to get there to declare it and to be able to bring Don's body to the morgue. When several minutes later, another guy came down this bridge and he was actually at the same pastor's meeting uh, much earlier, but he was talking with people and had lost track of time. And he got to the bridge and he saw the scene. And as soon as he saw the scene, he didn't know who was involved in the accident, but he just felt like God said, you need to get out of your car and pray for the people in this accident. So he gets out and he finds the first uh, EMT guy who was standing, still standing around waiting. And he said, what's going on here? I'm a pastor. Can I do anything to help? And they said, well not really there's really nothing to be done at this point there's only one guy who was really injured and he's he's beyond help he's he's been dead now for for well over half an hour so the pastor started to leave and he said he felt like god was saying no you need to stop and you need to pray for this guy and and this other baptist pastor he was who's having this conversation with god he's saying in the back of his mind he says this is this is not good theology i don't understand why god would have me pray for a dead person it didn't make any sense to me but I was just trying to be obedient. And he looked at the EMT guy and said, I know this sounds crazy, but can I just get underneath that tarp and pray for him? And he's like, dude, he's dead. And he says, I know, I know, just let me do that. And so he gets out and he crawls into the car and he puts his hand on Pastor Don's body. And he's praying and when he can't find words to say to pray, he's determined he's just going to stay there until the medical examiner gets there. At one point he just runs out of things to pray and he starts singing hymns. And at one point he's at 90 minutes, 90 minutes after the guy was declared dead, this pastor is singing in the car, what a friend we have in Jesus, when all of a sudden he hears another voice in the car. And it's Pastor Don. This guy, this pastor said, he jumped out of the car and he says, hey guys, the dead man is singing. (laughs) It took several minutes for the paramedics to even believe the guy. They They thought he was nuts. They didn't even want to go and check. They thought it was ridiculous. Eventually, he begged and pleaded long enough that he got one of them to go over and check and found a pulse. And they were able to rush him off to the hospital and he survived. Now, if that story isn't incredible enough, which it is, and the fact there's been a, a book that's been written about this guy's story, amazing story, 90 Minutes in Heaven. There's also a movie that came out about it just a few months ago. But what's more incredible about this story isn't the fact that, that he came back, but the fact that he tells what happened during those 90 minutes as he believes with all of his mind and his heart that he was with Jesus in heaven. And it's an amazing story. But what I personally think is even more exciting than that story is what we're going to see in the Word today. And that is this, that, that relationships, they're simply placed on pause when loved ones leave this world. Because God intends for relationships to last for eternity with all of His children. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 20. We're, again, these stories are fascinating, but what we, we, the place we get our truth from when it comes to the afterlife, when it comes to heaven, is through God's Word. So let's look at Luke chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles with you, if you forgot them at home, pull out your smartphone or your tablet, go to gracetucson.org slash Bible. The scripture's there. Some interactive sermon notes are there that I've provided for you. Feel free to take advantage of that. And while you're turning there, you know, I just have to think, it, it's stories like this. It's stories like last week with Dr. Mary Neal and today with, with Pastor Don Piper that it causes our imaginations to just run wild, doesn't it? To make us think about what heaven might one day be like. So let's look at Luke chapter 20, and starting in verse 27. Let's just look at verse 27 for a minute and see how this story leads in. It says, 
Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm going to pause there for a second. Before we get into this, I need us to, if it's okay, I want us to just take a look at what's happening here. I want to set up this story because this is an important setup. This story we're getting ready to look at here, starting in verse 27, or actually just a few verses before is when this, this scene started. It was just two days before Jesus was to be crucified. Religious leaders are doing their best in this chapter and, uh, to, to find ways to trap Jesus, to get him to say something that can cause them to say as religious leaders, Aha! You see that? He's a religious nut. He is crazy. He's a heretic. Let's kill him. And so all these religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they're all trying to do their best to figure out how do we trap him. And the Pharisees have already tried earlier in this chapter, not successful. So then the Sadducees step up. It's their turn. So they want to try to take a crack at Jesus. And now if you notice in that one verse, there's a very odd statement that's there, isn't there? It says that the Sadducees, even though they're religious people, they're religious leaders. It says... They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe, but get this, the Sadducees didn't only believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe there was a such thing as an afterlife. They thought heaven was a joke, no such thing. They didn't even believe in a Messiah. They didn't believe a Messiah was going to come. And you know why? Because the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They only believed that the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, only those five, the five books of Moses that Moses wrote, those were the only ones that were authoritative. All the rest of it in their minds was just fluff. It didn't mean anything. So because those first five books didn't talk about heaven, because those first five books didn't talk about the Messiah in their minds, they thought all of it was just nuts. And so (laughs) this is really interesting. As they're setting up this question for Jesus... They're not even wanting to just make fun of Jesus. They're trying to make fun of everybody else around him, including the Pharisees who do believe in heaven, who do believe in a resurrection. And so they choose a question that in their minds will not only trap Jesus, but will make fun of their other religious leaders who are listening at the time. Now, what is this question that they come up with? Boy, this question is a doozy. You're just going to have to kind of follow along with me as best you can here because this question is just... No one could think this up but these guys. Verse 28. It says, They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on his brother's name. Well, they say, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Will she be the wife of all seven who were married to her? Good grief. (laughs) What kind of question is that, right? Now, verse 28 is referring to something. Again, this is something that Moses taught. If you flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, you see where Moses talks about this. There was this, again, Deuteronomy was in those books that the Sadducees cared about. And Deuteronomy 25, it actually expands on this a little more. It says, listen to this. It says in Deuteronomy 25, if a guy dies, number one, and number two, if he dies and he's married, and if he dies without kids, 
And number four, and this is in the Deuteronomy passage, if his brother happens to live on the same property as his brother and his brother's wife, then it says the honorable thing to do is to marry her, for the brother to marry her and to have the kids of the dead brother. Now, kind of an odd custom in ancient Israel. By the time of Jesus, there's no evidence that anybody is practicing this anymore, including the Sadducees. Sadducees don't care. They just want to bring it up. They're just using it to trap Jesus and make fun of the Pharisees. That's all they're interested in. And it says here, if you were able to follow it, so what if a guy has seven brothers, and the guy dies, and then the woman marries the first brother, and then he dies, and then the second, and then the third, and it just goes on for seven, for seven brothers. And none of these guys are able to have kids, and all of them die after they marry the woman. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm the guy, if I'm the third or the fourth brother at this point, I'm getting out of town, <laughs> and really fast. I mean, end of story. This woman's bad news. Then finally the, the, finally the seventh brother, after the seventh brother dies, this woman dies. And I think the whole town breathes a sigh of relief. And so Sadducees say, so in heaven, who's she married to, Jesus? Which one? Take your pick. And Jesus says, guys, she won't be married to any of them. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied, Marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. In other words, God's, or Jesus is saying here that God created marriage for here on earth to serve purposes that aren't really necessary in heaven. Purposes like companionship and reproduction, and child raising. There'll be only one marriage in heaven, Scripture talks about, and that will be between Christ and His church, whom He calls His bride. In fact, I won't get into this now, but Ephesians 5, 30, verse 31 to 32, expands on this even more, this whole idea. It, we see from Scripture that earthly marriage is it's a shadow. It's an echo of the true and ultimate marriage that we as followers of Jesus will have with Christ one day. Here, marriage is imperfect. There, in heaven, it won't be. Here, marriage is painful and even broken at times. With Christ, our marriage with Him will never be broken and will never end. But notice here, I love this. As you dig into this story, you see how Jesus, Jesus isn't done with the Sadducees here. He doesn't just answer their question. He takes it a step farther. The people who are trying to humiliate him, Jesus just totally reads their mail here. Look, look at this. See, the, what he does, what, as you're looking at this passage here, what you see here is that he goes back to the first five books of the Bible. He goes back to the ones that the Sadducees say are authoritative. He goes back to this place, I believe it's in Exodus, where um, we see God talking to Moses and saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe some of you remember this passage. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have long been dead when God says this. They've been dead for a really long time. Everyone knew that. But God said, I am the God of them. And Jesus, Jesus remembers this, and he says, ah, I'm going to go right back to the, one of the passages they like so much. And, he says, no, and Jesus is basically pointing out to these Sadducees around this circle. He's saying, notice that God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, well, they were, and then they died, and then they're gone, and now God's not their God anymore because they're, you know, Warm food. 
He says, I am. God said to them, I am. As soon as as Jesus points this out to them, they get it. They get the fact that, oh, the scriptures that we hold to even say that there is a life beyond this one. Because God still is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as he is the God of those that we have loved who have passed on before us. And so they're nailed at this point, and it says at the end of this, this story here that the Sadducees just shut up. They just realized there's no point going any further with this. And they just kind of disappear. Now, today we're talking about heaven and relationships in heaven. And this passage that we've been looking at here for the last few minutes, it really is talking about marriage relationships, right? It's not really talking about other kinds of relationships. But let me ask you guys this morning, what about other relationships? What about relationships other than marriage? Does the Bible have anything to say about those? Will we have relationships with anyone other than God in heaven? Or will it just be a relationship that each one of us have with God? Will we be able to know or to recognize other people when we get there one day? Will I be able to spend time and pick up on my relationship with my grandmother who died when I was far too young? Or my friend who died a few years ago suddenly at the age of 33 with a heart attack? Or the babies that you and I have lost to miscarriage or to abortion or stillbirth? And what about pets, right? I mean, everybody wants to know the question. That one. That's probably one of the number one questions I get asked as a pastor. What about the pets? Well, let's, let's take just a few minutes. I want to kind of walk through these with, for, with you for just a few minutes. And we'll start with this God question because this is a really important one. Will we have or care to have any relationships other than with God in heaven? Now, this has been a debate that's been going on for many, many centuries. It goes even back to the early monks uh, shortly after the days of the early church. Those monks who would go out and live in the desert alone. They, they called them the desert fathers. And they would say, I only need God. I don't need anyone else. And they would teach that, you know, that when we get to heaven one day, that the only relationship we'll have will be between us, each one of us as individuals and with God. And you know what, guys? There were other church fathers, many of that you've probably heard of back in the early times of the church, that actually believed this as well. St. Augustine... St. Thomas Aquinas, they all during their lives taught that when we get to heaven one day, there won't be any relationships other than between us and God. Now, I, I will mention that Augustine later in his life, he recanted that and he says, I, didn't, I don't believe that anymore. He says, I do believe there are relationships in heaven. But this is a theory that sounds really spiritual, but I don't believe it's rooted in the Bible or, or rooted in the character of God at all. And so I kind of want to unpack this with you through Scripture if I can. Let's start with this. Number one, humans were made for relationship, right? Humans were made for fellowship. That's, that was important to God. Go, it's, it's been that way ever since the beginning. Go back and look at Genesis chapter 2. God says that everything he created was good until when? Do you remember? It was until he created the very first person, and then God said, it's not good that man be alone. Now, That first man, Adam, that God created, he wasn't alone, was he? I mean, God was there. Before sin messed up the world, God was physically present in the garden, Genesis says. And he walked with Adam and later with Eve when he created Eve. Yet God saw that it was better for Adam to be able to have a human relationship and not just a relationship with God. Luke 16, we talked about this last week. We see this story of paradise or heaven and how people recognize and communicate with each other on the other side. It shows that even we, can, we will talk to people that we never met 
or new on earth, but we will know them there. In verse 9, I just love how in verse 9 in Luke 16 says that people will welcome you to your eternal home. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, We sit at God's dinner table in heaven with the saints of old. Now, why are we doing that? We're not sitting at the dinner table of God because we're hungry and we need food to stay, to stay alive, right? We won't even have physical bodies at that point where we need food. So why would we be sitting at God's dinner table? Why would we be eating? Well, as many of us as Christians know really well, fellowship's a big deal, right? We'll be eating, I believe, for fellowship. Guys, I think the Bible is clear enough on this one. God intends there to be relationships in heaven just as they are here. God created us for relationships. God created us and put us here on this earth to do two things, to love God and to love others, to be in relationship with others. That's what this is about. And how, why wouldn't we be living that into that ultimate fulfillment of that one day in heaven? You know, a good story. Some, some of you have probably already heard this story if you've been around Grace for quite a while. I told this once before. I had a great-grandmother once by the name of Grancy. That's what we called her, Grancy. She lived in Vidalia, Georgia, which is the home of the Vidalia Onion. Uh, and uh, when she was 100 years old when she went home to be with the Lord. I was 21 at the time. And uh, I'll never forget, in those last several months that she was alive, sweet woman of God, she was just a matriarch for our family. But in those last few months, she was having multiple pen strokes. And when she would, the, the pen strokes got so bad, she would have these pen strokes and be in this deep, deep sleep for hours at the time. And she'd come out of these, these deep sleeps after having these pen strokes, and she would start telling the family members around about her experiences in heaven, that she had just been there again. And she would talk about the things that she saw and experienced while she was in heaven. And our family... <laughs> We just would kind of gather around the bed and we'd smile and we'd, we'd talk about after we left her. Oh, wasn't that cute? Isn't that neat? You know, she, she feels like she saw heaven. She saw Jesus. Isn't that special, right? None of us believed a word she said. I mean, we were thinking, she's 100 years old. She, you know, some loose screws were up there. She just didn't know to tell them where this, these things were coming from. Until, until one day she did it again. She gathered everybody into a room after she had been out in a deep sleep for multiple hours another pen stroke. And she said, family, I need you to come here. I need, I need to talk to you and tell you something. And they, we all kind of gathered in there. And she said, I want you to know I was in heaven again. And I saw my baby brother. He just arrived. And everybody, you could have heard a pin drop in the room because everybody in the room knew that her baby brother had just died a few hours before. And they didn't want to tell her because they didn't want to upset her. So everybody's just kind of looking at her. Like, really? You just saw him there? And she says, yeah, I'm just, I, I, just, I want to make sure you all know this because I want to I comfort you. I want to encourage you. He's with Jesus now. He's not going anywhere. I'll be with him soon, but I just want you to know he's there. He made it. Boy, I tell you, if anything made a believer out of a 21-year-old boy, that was it for me. She reassured me that one day we'll be together again as a family. And our relationships are just put on hold, just put on pause until we're reunited there one day. But what about pets, right? I mean, that's one of the big questions today. What about pets? Will they be there? Well, let me put it to you this way. Animals are God's idea. He created them. He populated the earth with them. Eden was perfect when, in God's eyes when he created it. And he created it with animals, not without, right? 
Also, if you look at the flood story in Genesis chapter 6, you see that God took great care to preserve the animals and make sure that they got on the ark. Now, God was God. He could have just allowed them all to be wiped out and then just recreate them like he did in Genesis chapter 1. But he didn't. In Psalm 148, the Bible says there's, there'll be a day when even wild animals are capable of praising and worshiping God. In Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9, this is a big one. It says, At the end of time, cows will graze with bears. Wolves and lambs will live together in harmony. And it even says that babies will play with snakes without being harmed. It actually says that with cobra. So clearly there will be animals there in heaven. But what about pets, right? Not just animals. What about pets? Well, 2 Samuel 12.3 talks about a lamb as a pet in the story of, of David and Bathsheba. And so obviously, you know, lambs were pets. and they, Lambs will exist at the end of time. Isaiah 11, the passage I just pointed out to you, it talks about lambs being there. So there'll be some pets there, but will our pets be there? That's what you're really thinking, right? Will my Fifi be there? Will Von Haunches or whatever that gerbil's name, will he be there, Right? That I don't know. I, I cannot say. But I do know that if relationships are the key to this, then there will definitely be no cats in heaven because they're too stuck up to have a relationship with people. <laughs> you guys didn't take it as well as the first service did. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you think about it. Why not? Why wouldn't there be pets in heaven? If God wants us to have relationships with people in heaven, people who meant the most to us here on earth, then why not also have the relationships with the animals that meant so much to us here on earth? That's what I think. Okay, now what about kids? You know, some people have asked me this question. How, how can little children, how can babies be in heaven? Because scripture says that there's no, way to, there's no way to heaven except through Christ for those who have made a personal confession of faith in Christ. So if a, a child dies before they're old enough to accept Christ, then... Will there just be no babies in heaven? No little children in heaven? Well, I'm going to go back to the Isaiah passage again. I just pointed out to you. It talks about in that Isaiah passage that there, there are babies there. Also, 2 Samuel chapter 12. King David's son dies shortly after his birth, the one that he had with Bathsheba. And do you remember what it says in 2 Samuel 12? It says that one day David will be reunited with his son. So clearly, there are babies in heaven. I would say yes. How? How does that work out theologically? I don't know. You got me again. God teaches us, though, that we're to teach them at an early age to know and to love God. And we see the fruit of that here. We have seen the fruit of that here over the last weekend and also this weekend. As in just a few moments, four more people will go into the waters of baptism and publicly confess their faith in Jesus, including three children. But beyond that, as far as that question goes, that theological quandary, we trust in God's goodness and grace, and we'll just understand it later when we're over there on the other side. You know, it's, it is hard. It's really hard to lose a loved one, to say goodbye and wonder when we'll ever see them again. But as we've learned today, relationships are just simply put on hold when loved ones leave this world. That's all. Because God intends for relationships to last for an eternity with all of his children. Remember Don Piper, the guy, the pastor I was talking with you about a little bit earlier? The one that was hit by the semi? 
You know, he later said, I didn't have a near-death experience. He said, I was dead. I was very dead. Dead for a long time. And he said, in those 90 minutes, I was with Christ in heaven. Now, it took him a long time to talk about this story. In fact, it took him over a year to even tell his wife. No one knew. He kept it to himself. In part because he was a Baptist pastor and he was concerned how people would think about him. They'd think he was crazy. And he wanted to maintain his integrity before his congregation and make sure that he was, looked like he was all together theologically. But also, he didn't talk about it because he was in tremendous, tremendous physical pain for a long, long time. He was in the hospital for months as they tried to put his body back together. And through those many, many months, he was in a deep, deep depression because he would cry out to God when no one else is in the room and say, why, God, would you do this to me? Why would you give me a taste of heaven? Why would you put my body through all of this and make me come back? He just didn't understand it for a really long time. But then there came a point when he did understand. Now, his story, I mean, you think the story I shared with you last week about the... the, the, the uh, the spine surgeon was, was incredible. This guy, the story that he tells of his experience in heaven is one I wish all of you could see. In fact, I wish I could just get you to skip lunch and just hang out with me here for another hour. I'd show the whole one-hour t- video testimony of, that he has given. But what I've done for you is in your online sermon notes, gracetucson.org slash Bible, I've given you a link to this video. I want to encourage you to watch it with your family this afternoon. Amazing story. As this Baptist pastor, longtime Baptist pastor, tries to explain with words what he experienced. But I want to take just a moment while you are here to show you just a couple of brief clips from his story. Take a look at this. Talk more about the relationships. When, when you see this welcoming committee, you saw people you recognized, what was that like reuniting? Well, it was overwhelming, uh, frankly. It was just deliriously wonderful. Some of these people I hadn't seen. I was 38 when I had the wreck. Some of these people I hadn't seen for 20 years or more. Uh, some of them had died subsequent to that, maybe only a few years prior to my death on the bridge. So um, there was no sense of age about them. There was no sense of infirmity about them. Uh, as I said, they were expecting me. It was a great reunion. I think heaven is a great reunion because, let's face it, uh, we're tired of funerals here. We we love people, and um, you know we don't. We we talk about my wife. My wife and I have been married for 41 years. Uh, I have three children. I have two grandchildren, another one on the way. I have a wonderful, wonderful family. But the truth is, they're really not mine. God just loaned them to me. Mm. And uh, but in earth, uh, in heaven, they will be. We will be God's children together forever. I certainly felt that these people who had a wide variety of backgrounds, who in many cases did not cross paths with each other in this earthly existence, they not only did they have in common that they loved me and were expecting me, but there was a a joy and a camaraderie and a fellowship in the truest sense of that word that transcended anything that they'd ever experienced here. And it was a given. It didn't have to be earned. Mm. It didn't have to be, you know, it's not like... Friendship here is usually the process, and it should be, of a long relationship of people who develop and trust and all the things that go with friendship and love. In heaven, you don't have to do that. It's a given. I'm not the person I used to be. Uh, not that healthy 38-year-old preacher on my way to church to lead a Bible study. I'm not that person. I've got scars to show for it. But it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with it. 
And so um, I want people to understand that I think I came back is so I could tell people heaven is real and Jesus is the way. And I think that I survived this and, and, and overcame this and I'm, I'm still here is that I can help people understand what it is to hold another one's hand and say, I know how you feel. All I ever asked God for in that hospital bed was, can't you send somebody here who understands what this is like? If I could just talk to another person who understands what this is like, I think I could get through it. And uh, one morning at 3 a.m. in St. Luke's Hospital in Houston, he spoke to me through some music, and he said, this is not about you. This is about me. And what I can do now through you that I can never do before the truck hits you. You need to turn your test into a testimony. You need to take your pain and find the purpose for it. And that purpose is to hold other people's hands. Instead of begging me to send somebody who will hold your hand, is to hold their hands and say, I understand how you feel. Together, we'll get through this because I know how you feel. And I think we can all do that. I, I, I think that if, if, a, if somebody's lost their husband, I think it's incumbent upon them to put their arm around somebody else who's lost their husband and say, I understand how you feel. And, and even though it's painful and difficult for me, I'm going to help you get through this because I know how you feel. And that's all we really ever want is somebody who gets it. There's a lot of people who are nice to us. They even say nice things. They are probably praying for us. But I want somebody with flesh and bones on them that gets it. Jesus gets it. He suffered more than we could ever suffer. And so I clung to that hope and also clung to the hope that may, while I wasn't the same person I ever was before, I didn't have to be bitter. I could be better. You know, the Bible says that we are all here for a purpose in this world. And I often think we just spend, we spend a lot of time focusing on what that is, but we don't spend as much time thinking about the who, who God has us here for. Today, I believe that God has shown us that he has created us for relationships. We are here to learn how to love God and how to love others, how to be in relationship with others. So let me ask you this morning, as personally as I can, who are you here for? What relationships does God want you to foster, to deepen, to, to learn from, to, to grow through to, in this season of your life? Who is God wanting you to, to love, to, to serve, even perhaps this week, this afternoon? Guys, relationships matter. They do. Relationships matter here and they matter there. So may you not miss who God has you here for as well as what God has you here for each and every day. You know, I believe that for many of you as you are here listening to this song and reflecting on the next step question on the screen, for many of you, God's been working in your hearts and reminding you of some people, the faces of people that he wants you to be in closer relationship with, those he wants you to reach out to and be Jesus to in your life. I'd love for us to just take a moment together, all of us, to just go before God in prayer and just lift those people up to Him and ask that God would commit us to being committed to relationships, those people that matter so much to God and that matter to us as well. Uh, you, you'll find on your seat back in front of you a next step card. Maybe for some of you, this is so important to you that you want to take a moment and write those names down on this card. 
or whatever next step God's asking you to make, to make that. And you can take this home with you or you can stick it in the next step box as you leave today. If, if you leave it, I'll be carrying it around with me and praying with you about this in the next several days. So with that in mind, let's just take a moment to go before God. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity today to just look into this idea of heaven once more, to, to discover so much. You know, you, the Bible is so rich in describing what it's going to be like one day. And Lord, for so many of us, we just kind of, we don't even think about it very often because when we think about heaven, we think about death and we think about loss and it just, it just is uncomfortable, God. Especially for those of us who have lost people really close to us. Lord, I pray that you would change that in us from this day forward. I pray that no longer we will, be, will we be filled with fear or apprehension or dread when we think of heaven. But that we will be filled with excitement, anticipation, joy. As we anticipate what you have in store for us. God, we pray for those relationships. Lord, these people that you've put in our life on purpose so that... Our purpose in life can be fulfilled in theirs. Lord, help us to slow down and to not lose track of those. Help us, Lord, to make those our priority, our focus, as we set our sights on heaven when our race will be over. Lord, for those of us who struggle with some of those relationships, and we just, they're awkward, they're uncomfortable, but Lord, we know that, you've, that those, in those relationships you've put us into their lives for a reason. Lord, would you just help us to see what that is and to learn from this experience. Help us, Lord, to love unconditionally, even though sometimes it's really difficult to love. Lord, we love you. And I just have to say this. I say this pretty much every week. I can't help myself. I'm I'm a pastor and I have a heart for those who don't know, who don't have that relationship with Jesus that I do. If, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, if you've never committed your heart and life to Christ, or, or if you did maybe a long time ago, but you've just kind of done your own thing and you've not really been carrying, living out that relationship with, with Christ for some time, I just, I can't help but tell, say, I believe God has you here for a reason today. We've talked about heaven and we've talked about thinking about things of heaven. And I believe God's wanting to say to you today, I want that relationship with you now. Not one day down the road when you get your life together. Not one day down the road when you figure out all the answers to your philosophical questions. I want to know you now. I want a relationship with my son, my daughter now. And he's opening his arms up wide to you and he's saying, I, you, I want you to make the call. If that's you this morning and God's asking you to take that little step of faith, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I want to encourage you to pray in the silence of your heart with me and allow the God's Spirit to just enter into your life and to begin to do a work. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we confess, all of us, that we need you. We are so grateful that you are our creator, that you so lovingly, tenderly, uniquely created each one of us. You didn't just... Pop us off of an assembly line. But you took great care with each one of us. And Lord, you tell us in your, in your word that you want relationship with us. That that's what it's all about. And God, I don't, it, I don't understand it. it. Why me? Why a relationship with me? God, I, I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. I've made so many mistakes. 
But God, I thank you. Even though I don't understand it, I thank you that you want that. And God, I want it too. So God, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. The ones I remember and the ones that I don't even remember anymore. All those ways I've disappointed you. I've broken relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you would remove all that stuff. And forget it. Just as you say in your word that you will. Because you have the ability to forget things. Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart. And fill me with your spirit as I confess that Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. The one who died on a cross so that I could live. Live eternally with you in heaven, God. I accept that gift today. I don't know why it took me so long, but I accept it today. And I thank you for giving me that opportunity. Lord, I want my life, what's left of it, to be an adventure with you. I don't want to miss a single thing that you have for me. A single purpose, a single relationship that you have me here for. Lord, my life, my time, my heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.